Welcome to Saving You is Killing Me, Loving Someone with an Addiction podcast. Loving someone with an addiction is a life of chaos. This podcast is to help you take back your power and build strength, hope, and restore peace in your life. We use the science and art of positive psychology, professionals in their field, along with personal stories of hope, resilience, and strength. We hope you can discover how the courage to focus on you can help put your life back together. When you are in a place of exhaustion, hopelessness, and emptiness, we are a community that knows all too well the turmoil that comes from loving someone with an addiction. We are here to help you compassionately struggle well. Hey there, you're listening to the Saving You Is Killing Me podcast hosted by me, Andrea Seidel. I'm the author and founder of Saving You Is Killing Me, Loving Someone With An Addiction. This podcast is for you if you're ready to find a way to struggle well, take back your power, and live life happier while you're navigating loving or losing someone to addiction. I wholeheartedly believe that when you love someone with an addiction, your life gets damaged in some way. Since we can't control someone else's addiction, but we are greatly affected by it, the number one thing you can do is take back your power and focus on you. I believe happiness, joy, and well-being is available to anyone. So the thoughts and perspectives I share here on the show are my own and those of the guests on the show. If you ever hear anything that feels harmful or triggering, I'm pre-apologizing and I'm open to being better and value any feedback and the permission to be human. That said, always take what you love, what feels good and leave the rest The conversations and tools I'll share here will give you everything you need to figure out exactly how to navigate addiction, put yourself first, and how to build resilience for your well-being in a way that feels really, really good. I use these tools to take back the power in my life to build my strength back up and restore peace. And I teach my clients how to create their own version of a life where they can tap into their power and restore their happiness. My goal is for you to listen and leave saying, why is this the only family or spouse support system that doesn't make you feel like you're the problem? And it feels so energizing, empowering, and uplifting thinking that you're not going crazy after all. I am here for you. Finally, please know you are not alone and you are worthy of prioritizing your well-being. So let's jump into the show. Hey there, Andrea Seidel here. I'm so excited because I have an amazing guest on the show. And I know I say that all the time, but I really feel so happy that I had to go through all this pain because honestly, I am meeting the most profound, remarkable people that are making such huge differences in this world and in the world of recovery and addiction. So I am thrilled. I always say, I wish we were meeting under different circumstances, but I'm so happy that we found each other and that we're here. And um, so today I have a little treat for you because I have the author of Addiction Rescue, the No BS Guide to Recovery. Uh, Dana Golden is on the show. Welcome to the show, Dana. Thank you, Andrew. I'm super excited to be here with you. And I love our kindred pasts that um, really connect us and uh, on our mission of the same. So uh, really great to be here with you. Oh my gosh. So yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Oh, gosh. Um, so uh, I've lived on the other side of addiction for most of my life. Um, grew up with an addict in uh, my, my dad and then, you know, sought out relationships that I guess emulated that. That's what we do. We look for our family comfort situation. So anyway, uh, when I was dating a guy that ended up going to treatment for drugs and alcohol, I learned that I had a part in um, <laughs> in my relationships with addicts, uh, which was something I'd never considered before. And I was told to go to Al-Anon. And so um, I didn't get it, but I went because I was a good girlfriend. And that's when I started my journey of recovery, understanding my part um, in relations uh, with an addicted person. And, um, then I went on to marry somebody that was in recovery when I met him. And that was great because he'd already done his work. And I felt like we had this, we were both in recovery and we had this great symbiotic relationship because of that. And we were each other's biggest cheerleaders. And, uh, he had knee surgery and was prescribed, um, opioids and he relapsed and he relapsed fast and hard and uh, I ended up having divorced him, having two young children, because uh, I wanted to get off that train wreck <laughs> that was about was going to blow up. And uh, he did end up bankrupting his company, going to prison um, uh, due to his gambling um, habit. And uh, after he got out, I said to him, "We have a story to tell, and we have um, we can help other families because we uh, he got in recovery, and I got back into my recovery. Because when he relapsed, I relapsed, right? We go back into all of our codependent, like I don't want to rock the boat kind of ways, and um, I needed to pick up the pieces. He needed to pick up his pieces, and then we wrote the book together, Addiction Rescue, and." Um, uh, we both, um, I'm now an interventionist, a recovery coach, a family addictions coach. Um, he's doing the same work with on this side with the um, addicts themselves. And we've just made our struggles, our successes and helping other families, giving them hope. Oh my gosh. I just love that you too have turned pain into purpose. And um, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your vulnerability and your story. And mm -hmm. I'm curious, what was the biggest struggle with loving someone with an addiction for you? Uh, the, my biggest struggle was me because I didn't know how to separate myself from the person. And so, because I took on the responsibility to fix them and make them whole, and I can be the one that, um, you know, they're going to want to change for, and I'll fulfill them enough that they won't need the drugs and alcohol to fulfill them. And so, um, you know, my caretaking people pleasing ways, I was getting in my way of my own happiness. And once I learned to separate myself and what my responsibilities are and stay in my lane and I only have control and, uh, you know, the, the um, happiness factor over myself, not for someone else, could I then get out of my own way to help myself to be happy and content, whether they were using or not using or what their dealio was. So that, that's what I try to help these families because we're also sucked into the addict and what they're doing. We forget everything that made us happy because the only thing we think will make us happy is to get our loved one clean and sober and in recovery. And we forget about ourselves in that process. And so I help people get their lives back get their lives back on track. And it, I always say, I'm not asking you to love your loved one any less. You just got to love yourself more and want more for yourself. Ooh, I love that. Love yourself more. So true. You're talking my language. That's what the SYKM community is all about. It's about 
focusing on you, having the courage to focus on you so you can help put your life back together. And I love that you say that's not that you're loving them any less or you're not caring or you're like, you know, it's the idea of loving yourself more. I love the way you put that. And you're so right. A lot of the listeners are probably thinking, yes, that's me. I'm a caretaker. I'm a people pleaser. I get sucked in and, you know, and they're like thinking, oh my gosh, I'm trying to fix them or I'll be happy when and if they're sober. So I'm curious from your experience, like what is, what is, the eureka or what is it that needs to happen for us to realize or to get to that point? Because I know that a lot of times we get really sucked in by addiction. I think the biggest thing to realize is everything you're doing is not working, right? (laughs) So we're nagging, we're begging, we're pleading, we're showing them all the destruction, you know, and everything we're doing isn't working. So we kind of take a step back and look at it in a different way because it's not working. So the best way to help your loved one is to get in your own recovery. When you start changing you, when you start getting happy, and I want to go back to something you just said earlier about uh, being happy. Uh, I don't remember what you said, but you don't need anything in any given moment more than you have to be happy. You just have to take a step back and find that peace of mind. And so we, oh, because you said, we'll be happy when our loved one gets in treatment. We'll be happy when. No, when you get happy, all those things just happen, right? We always put fill in the blank. I'll be happy when I get in, I'll get, be happy when I get in a new relationship. I'll be happy when. But in life, it doesn't work that way. You got to find happiness and then those things find you. And that's what, uh, that's, that's how you got to get out of your own way. And in in positive psychology, it's about not pretending bad things don't happen or like, you know, waving a magic wand, like, okay, if I get happy, then hopefully they'll get sober or like, okay, like if they're listening to that advice, it's more like, okay, what I have, what I do have control over is the current moment that I'm in. And I can possibly see how I can tap into some more positive emotions and some joy in my life and see how I can prioritize my well-being. And I think you're so right when you say that is that like the recovery is for ourselves is more about recovering who we were or taking ourselves back or recovering, you know, what it is that's like how we can love ourselves. And I find that there's a little bit of a negative connotation around the word recovery because it's kind of like, wait a second, why do I need recovery? I don't have an addiction. Whereas like, it's more about looking at it from the perspective and the lens, which helped me was recovering who I was before, getting my sparkle back, getting Andrea back, like focusing on the things that make me feel good, that I can possibly enhance my positive emotions and like really start to focus, put the lens back on me so I can pick up, you know, the pieces of my broken heart and kind of glue them together with gold. And so I think you really bring something up that's so key is this idea that nothing was working for me in my situation. I got to a point where like I was trying everything and anything and I was killing myself, literally trying so hard to um, help this person in my life. And you're right. It gets to the point where you realize nothing is working. Like nothing is working. And I guess we're up against addiction. Like addiction is... Um, it, it doesn't discriminate. It's very powerful. And, you know, you can't love hard enough to get rid of addiction. So let's talk about that. Nothing is going to work. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Addiction is its own animal. Nothing you do or say it can compete with it. You can take all the potential of your loved one in the world, but anytime you put it up next to addiction, addiction is going to kick potential's ass. 
And you have to start having different expectations of what your loved one's capable of, because as long as they're in active addiction, they aren't capable of much other than feeding their active addiction. And they don't even have control over it. So what makes us think as family members, we might have some control over it, right? They've lost control over it. Mm -hmm. Um, Addiction has to be disrupted. It doesn't stop on its own. And I have seen over and over that untreated addiction ends up in three ways, jails, institutions, and death, period. And without a great disruptor coming in to, and sometimes that can be rock bottom, right? What is rock bottom? Rock bottom could could be an event. You know, sometimes somebody gets thrown in jail, that might be the catalyst for them. Some people go to jail over and over. It's not the catalyst for them. But really hitting rock bottom is just a feeling of they're done. They've had enough. It's not necessarily some catastrophic event. And the other thing that disrupts addiction is an intervention. Um, And we can talk about that later. But the loop that goes on in the brain, because your addict is in pain, they are using a maladaptive coping skill to get rid of the pain that they're in. They find relief in that pain with their substance of choice. And then it becomes a cycle. They feel pain, whatever it is. There's always underlying trauma, mental illness, PTSD. There's always something under addiction. And you have to get to that and you got to fix that. And you can't fix it while they're in active addiction. So you got to disrupt the addiction, get the chemical substance, whatever it is, out of the system. And then you can work on what it is that's causing them to pick up this maladaptive coping skill. But until that loop is interrupted, it's just a trauma loop, a brain loop that goes on and on and on. And all of the stuff you're doing cannot disrupt that. It takes professionals in most cases, so treatment, a treatment team, um, to get that person to a place where they can actually work on what's really going on. Oh my gosh. So we're literally up against something that we cannot, we, we can't fight, we can't control we can't and I think that that's literally what was my breaking point is that realizing for me especially is that we were you're up against something that you have zero control over like and you're up against something that is so powerful that everything you're doing isn't going to work like all those those tactics or like the help or like the even like showing up in such a way like and and even thinking I remember thinking that um, is he choosing that over me? Like, I can't believe it. But then recognizing that addiction is so powerful and it's that trauma loop that you're talking about. And it's so true. And the feeding of their dopamine, it's like they're numbing out, they're numbing pain. And so when we're in there trying to like help or we're in there trying to like be in the mix and trying to save them or or whatever it is that we're doing, it's it's basically, you're saying it's futile. Like it's, it's not even like it's, it's not worth it because there really is nothing that we can do. Now, is there anything we can do? Like what can, so I always say, I always say there's um, one of the, the things that we usually talk about or we hear when we love someone with an addiction is this idea of, you know what, you are, um, you are just as addicted or you are the problem as well, or you, you are addicted to the addict. Like, 
And I'm hearing and you didn't cause it. You can't control it. You can't cure it. Like we hear about what we can't do and what we, that everything we're doing is not working. So then I'm always like, well, what can we do? And I always say that in, in the SYCAM community and in my book is like everything, the one thing we can do is focus on us, take back our power. That's the only thing we can do um, because it, we are literally getting sucked in and buried in the quicksand and like bruised, you know, going on the roller coaster and jumping off. And so is, do you agree with that? Is that something that resonates with you as well? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. There's nothing we can do for them. Um, but we're, there are things and measures we can take in taking care of ourselves that will be a catalyst for them to make changes. And there's a lot of research on this. And uh, I, I also want to say once the addict gets clean and sober, you need to do some things different because the family involvement and you changing is going to help long-term recovery for your addict. So um, yes, there's lots of things we can do. I like to say that stop sitting in the ripple effect and stand up and make your own ripple effect because you will have a ripple effect, just like your loved one that's addicted has a ripple effect on everyone around them. And so uh, people just tend to sit in the wake and feel bad and sorry and want to fix their loved one, but it doesn't work, like you said. So what can we do? That's what I help people to figure out. And the first thing they need to do, separate your loved one from the addiction. It's two separate entities. You love your loved one. You don't like the behavior that is caused because of the addiction. So you got to find some empathy. You got to find some compassion for what they're going through because they're miserable. No addict is happy doing what they're doing. They don't like disappointing you. They don't like making the whole family crazy and chaotic around them. They don't like having to be stuck in a vicious cycle of using and pain and using and pain. So they're, they're miserable. So to find that compassion and, and, and loving empathy for them is really important. And once you can flip that switch, you stop coming at them so harshly. You know, and it's so important for, the, you know, I, I know it's overused addiction is family disease, but the, the addict and often they say, I'm only hurting myself. Why are you so upset? I'm not hurting you, but they're hurting everybody around them. It sucks in everybody around them. And people don't even realize how sucked in they get and how maladaptive their roles become. Oh, and speaking of which, I want to throw this out here really quick, Andrea, I have a quiz that people can take to identify the role they're in surrounding their addict. There's six identifiable roles that you take on when you're in a relationship with an addict. Um, you can take that at danagolden.com backslash quiz. Um, let's put that in the show notes too, because it'll really help you understand um, the maladaptive role that you're taking on and the behaviors that you have around your addict. And it, it's helpful to identify that. Um, there's some follow-up emails. that will tell you what your fears are of stepping out of that role and what you got to do to combat that. So um, very important. So, uh, we get sucked in and our lives get turned upside down and chaotic and we're just as miserable as the addict. And when you can start getting out of that role of being the victim in a situation with an addict, you can start being a victor to yourself and you can be a catalyst to your loved one starting to change behaviors too. 
Oh, I love that. And what comes up for me right away is like, but don't be, don't make the changes for a catalyst because you think that it's going to get them sober. <laughs> it's like, you know, or to seek recovery. It's almost like, it's just like making that decision for you. And I love that. I think we just got the name of the podcast too. It's like stop standing or staying uh, struggling in the ripple effects of addiction. And that's so true, right? Like there's such a ripple effect of addiction. It's like getting out of that and almost like become, make your own ripple effect. So you're saying that when you focus on you and you separate yourself from your loved one with the addiction and then focus on you, and then that itself will create a ripple effect, not guaranteeing that someone's going to seek treatment, but at the same token, at least that'll have a ripple effect out. Um, okay. So you raised so many amazing things that I don't want to lose them. You talked about separating your loved one from the addiction. So it's almost like I love, you love the loved one, but you don't love the addiction. And now that's so hard to do, especially when you're getting, you know, F bombs or you're getting like, you know, abuse in so many different ways when they're not coming home at night or when they're, you know, it's so hard to do how, how, you know, what do you suggest for someone who is in the mock of their love, they have their loved one with their addiction, their addiction is around them. Like that idea of separating, it's like still having compassion and empathy for them while their behaviors are so, you know, sometimes abrasive. Yeah. Walk away. Don't react. It's the addiction talking. It's the addiction coming at you. Um, you know, close your eyes and remember what your loved one was like before and know that they would never come at you like this. That is their addiction talking. And you, you just, I mean, you can't hook into it as hard as that is. And you got to set boundaries. You know, I do a whole, uh, a whole module on boundaries. Um, what, what, what do you do when your loved one is being completely disrespectful to you? Um, you know, how do you, you know, if your loved one's staying out all night and you're up all night worrying, how do you set a boundary so you don't have to go through that worry? You know, there's all kinds of ways and provisions and limits you can set up for yourself so that you don't have to get caught up in those uh, cyclical things that happen when you're involved with an addict. Mm. And one thing I want to say, Andrea, and go back to is when you said this is completely going back, when you said, don't do it for your loved one, you know, do it for yourself. But if, if, if it's a catalyst to get you to start working on yourself, do it. If you think, okay, she said, if I work on myself, he's going to change his behaviors. Okay. And you're thinking I'm going to try it. Cause maybe that's, that'll work. Do it for that soon enough. You're going to find that it's for you. Yeah. You, that's you know a good what I mean? point. Yeah, whatever you can do to get there, you'll eventually get to the point where you, it's for you and you're you're getting happy, happier. Yes. Okay. So I also want to bring up this idea of, and it's so funny because you said, and I always say funny, not funny, but funny. You said um, it's the addiction, right? It's the addiction that's making them act like that. And so I even changed, I remember in my phone, I changed his name to drugs talking so that when he would send me these really mean texts or these like things, I would, I would automatically know, okay, this is, this is not him. This is not, this is drugs talking. And I used to say, are you in there? Like, where are you? Are you in there? Because like right now you're an empty vessel of a human. Like it was like, is the person that I, and I, I don't use his name, but is the person that I fell in love with before somewhere in there? Because right now all I was seeing was the addiction. So what brings me like, I just want to bring up this idea is, 
I feel like me having so much compassion, empathy in that relationship. And I hear this a lot with my clients too, is when is it that we're dismissing bad behavior because we're, we're labeling it that it's the addiction. So for a lot of times people stay a lot longer than they think, than they probably should, because it's like, it's the addiction making them behave like this, or it's this. But I have this thing is that sometimes we're dismissing behavior that is so traumatic and so it's abuse, essentially, um, because we're almost excusing out the behavior to addiction. Can we speak to that a little bit? Yeah. And and you're right. It's a tough one. And it's different in every situation. And everybody gets their fill at some point, you know, and everybody's got to know where their bottom is, where they have to walk away from it. And I don't mean like divorce your partner if it's a loved one or kick your kid out if it's your child. Um, but those are, that's the stuff I'm talking about with the boundaries and you have, you don't have to accept it. Um, you don't have to think it's okay. You don't have to agree with it. Um, I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that you have to understand that, um, you don't have control. Oh, they don't even have control over what they're saying and what they're doing. Their addiction is doing that. And I don't say put up with it. I don't say agree with it. I don't say you don't, you, you have to say something to them like, honey, I know right now you're in active addiction and this is your addiction talking, you know, and try to reason with them because you can't reason with an unreasonable person when they're in that mode. But um, you have to walk away. You can say, this is unacceptable behavior. I'm not going to stand here and be talked to like this. Um, when you can calm down, when you can have a conversation, I'll come back, let me know, and leave those situations. Um, it, 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 it's a fine line, and it's hard, and everybody has their own threshold for what they're willing to put up with and for how long. And that's what we work with our clients with, right? Like, when is enough enough? When do you not accept this behavior anymore? When do you realize your loved one needs help and they're not getting the help they need? So all you can do is take care of yourself in this situation. And let's figure out the steps, what that looks like for you to take care of yourself in that situation, because it's different for everyone. So true. So true. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up because that subject comes up a lot um, with my clients and um, in the support group as well. So, all right. So let's move to this idea of like, what is it that we can do? I know you, we talked a little bit about disruption and, and I love the way you brought that up. And it's so sad to think that addiction, active addiction ends in three ways, jail, institution, or death. Like, are you kidding? Like that does not feel too hopeful or, or good. And we've seen it, right? Right? We see it in support groups, you know, we, and, and so many times I see people like saying it, like it's with a heavy heart that I'm now, like I'm the one sharing this post, you know, it's like, it's like, um, so this idea of disruption gives us a little bit of hope. Can we talk about that a little bit? I know you're an interventionist. And so let's maybe talk a little bit about that for the listeners. Yeah. Um, you know, there's never a wrong time to do an intervention and it's never too early to do an intervention. And unfortunately as an interventionist, I'm the last call people make, right? I'm not the first call because they've tried everything else before that. Um, but sometimes it's just um, addictions big. And like you were saying, like when I would put it in that perspective, it's jails, institutions or death. I mean, there's nothing wrong with calling in a professional that can help you navigate through the best means to get your loved one the help they need. So um, 
you know, an intervention is just what you do at the time when you're not getting anywhere with your loved one. You have the fear and worry that they're going to die or end up in jail or they're going to get committed to an institution because they're being crazy. And there's some drugs out there that make people crazy. It's super sad. It totally takes over the brain meth addicts. I mean, totally takes over. They're not even recognizable as the person they were. And they do end up, I'm telling you, in psych wards. I've seen it over and over again. Um, so, uh, there's, you you have to bring in a professional. You have to bring in someone that knows what's happening in their brain, how to disrupt that. Um, it's, it's very loving. Um, the, there's many methods of intervention. The intervention I do is called the Johnson method. It's the surprise method. If you've ever seen the show intervention on A and E, that's the Johnson method. That's what I do. Um, but the loved ones are that's with Sherry Gaba, right? Too. Sherry Gaba was yeah. on that show. Yeah, I've had her on the show before. She's been. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I've written something for her somewhere along the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. So that's the the way we do it. It's uh, it's all in a loving, very caring environment. Um, we're very compassionate. Uh, the loved ones come together. Um, they really just share their concern, their worry, their hopes for their loved one. And, uh, you know, after that, we just talked, I talked to a loved one about this is what your family's hoping you'll do. And I, we've got plane tickets. We can get on a plane and go right to treatment. And we've taken care of everything in the meantime. And you can just go focus on you. And who in this room wouldn't love to take a month out of their daily wreckage of life and just go focus on themselves and get with a health, a team of health professionals that can really get to the bottom of what's going on here. And uh, most often they say, yeah, okay, they're, they're, they're ready. And, um, and, and most addicts, like I said, are miserable silently. They're begging for help. They don't know where to go. They don't know where to turn. They've burned so many bridges. Um, they don't have people in their life they can trust anymore. They're, you know, surrounded by other addicts and bad environments. And they're, they're looking for some kind of lifeline. And that's what an interventionist does. They give them a lifeline to the hope of a better life. You don't have to keep living the way you're living. There is another way. I can take you there. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. So if someone were thinking about maybe intervention and, and, you know, I mean, there's like, what are the resources and and what would the right timing be? And like, I guess you said, no, there it's any time really. Right. It's like, yeah. Well, when the whole family has been taken hostage, right. And everybody is just fully consumed with how are we going to get through the next 24 hours? And is my loved one going to be alive? And will I ever hear from them again? And are they going to make it home? You know, when you're at that point and the whole family is just in chaos and turmoil because of the effects of addiction, you know, you don't, y'all don't have to keep living that way, you know, and reach out. There's help available in so many ways and avenues for you, for your loved one. Um, the family portion of getting help is really coming on strong now. It used to be that really the addicts had the support with treatment and professionals and addiction counselors and coaches. And uh, But now it's really coming on strong for the families. I mean, the whole industry is shifting because people are realizing that it takes a whole family to really recover from this disease. And you can't send your loved one off to treatment, have them come home in 30 days, to the same environment when everybody's still doing the same things in their maladaptive roles and not have a recipe for relapse. So everybody's got to figure out their part, 
you know, and you got 30 days to do it, I say. So when your loved one comes home, you're all on the same page. You can be the best support to your loved one. It's proven over and over in the statistics that when the family members get in recovery, their loved one's long-term success is highly um, elevated for long-term. And so everybody needs to know their part, what they're doing, and, and get that whole family involved. And it's a beautiful process. You know, everybody gets to learn and grow. And, you know, we were talking about how resentful people get at the word recovery. Why do I have to get in recovery? I didn't do anything wrong. This isn't my problem, but it's all personal growth. It's just developing the best version of yourself you can for all your relationships. So um, who doesn't want to just keep growing and learning in life? I mean, it's just a part of life and that's what recovery is for everybody. For everybody. You're so right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. Okay. So the first step then to, okay, so this is, this is what's coming up and I always secretly wanted to. So whenever I would hear about people going into treatment and actually my brother has gone into treatment as well in the past and he's doing remarkably well now. Um, And so I always said that I secretly wish that they could have like a simultaneous treatment for the, for the spouses or the families. It's like, I need, I like, cause some of these treatment centers are like luxury vacations away with yoga, meditation and pools and beaches and this and that. And surfing lessons and stuff is like, okay, they need to have like treatment centers for the family members or for the spouses, because I can't even tell you, like I was so taken down from addiction and I didn't even have an addiction. And I remember thinking, okay, there needs to be something here for, for the loved ones. So you, I'm, I'm kind of joking, but not joking. Like, um, but at the same token, it's like, yeah, we need strategies to help take ourselves back as well. So if you could offer the listener, maybe like, you know, some steps or some strategies or maybe some coping strategies, you know, while the loved one maybe is in treatment or while they're dealing with, um, the muck of addiction or the ripple effects of addiction. Do you have any suggestions there? Yeah, get into um, uh, Al-Anon or Naranon. Um, you know, those are free resources that are going to help you. You can get a sponsor there. It's somebody that can, you know, so well, a sponsor, a sober person offering suggestions on recovery, I think is the acronym for sponsor. Um, so somebody that's been there before you and has gotten to the other side. So, you know, people that you can connect with that have done it before. Um, and then, it's very important when your loved one's in treatment to stay connected to them. Um, you know, most treatment centers do offer some type of family um, group or you can get on a Zoom uh, with their counselor. Um, you know, so you really can learn what their resentments are, what their triggers are. Uh, so you can uh, work on those things while they're away. So they come back to the environment. They don't have that trigger. You can kind of, you know, hone in on what it is that they need to Um, And then you also get the chance to talk about your trust issues and how you can build your trust back. And they, you know, there's going to be a lot of that when your loved one comes home, you know, how do you take baby steps to rebuild trust? I mean, that, that's something else that I put in my built into my program because that's huge. You know, how do I know I can believe them this time? So, yeah, let's talk about that. Because, oh my gosh, so many times like uh, like you get love bomb the next day, love letters, or it won't happen again, I promise. And so there's two things I think to that is that I think they legitimately wish that they could believe themselves as well. Like, I think that they legitimately wish that they could keep that promise. They just can't because the addiction is so strong. So, and so let's talk a little bit about trust and then, and then also go into like 
let's talk about trust because I think that's a huge, so many people um, in the comments and, and things in our support group talk about this idea. Like I just can't trust them. How do I know when to trust? And actually I, I am doing this podcast on action, speaking louder than words. And I think that that's kind of a good, um, good, I guess that that's kind of a good tool to know and to know when you can trust is like go by actions and not the words. So, and then also drugs talking, right? Or addiction talking, if it's gambling, if it's, you know, whatever, something else. Do you have anything to add to that, to this idea of trust? Well, I do agree with you. Watch their feet, not their words, or not their lips, right? Watch their feet, not their lips, um, because it's so true. Trust your gut. Trust your gut. You know, Check things out to a point, but not to the point where you're looking for bottles behind the couch, where you're all consumed with, I know I got to prove this to myself. I mean, you got to let that stuff go. Trust your gut and ask questions. And there has to be open communication. Your loved one has to be able to trust that you're going to take whatever they say in without reacting and overreacting and freaking out. So you got to practice that because that's why they're going to lie and hide things is because the way you're going to react so what hurts is being lied to, right? So you got to be okay with whatever it is they're going to tell you because you don't want them to lie to you. So you got to get good at taking it in without freaking out. Uh, it's kind of like kids, you know? I mean, don't we tell, don't we do the same thing with our kids? Like you can tell me anything because I can't help you if I, if you don't let me know what's going on. And then they tell you something like I did that. You're like, ah, what did you do? You <laughs> You can't do that because they're not going to want to come back and be able to share with you what you did. So, um, so those are the kinds of things we work on. Have you know a daily check in with your loved one? You know where uh, you're just taking a minute to share what's going on and listen to what's going on, um, and just reestablishing re some communication styles between you and your loved one so that you can start building that trust. So good, yeah, I love that. Yeah. And it's so true. And, and I, I love that you bring up that element of over investigating. Cause I know I became a private and freaking investigator because I was like, I needed like, cause he was denying a problem. And I'm like, well, actually, so then I was trying to prove like the, you have a problem. Like in here, I'm not going crazy. Like, this is what you're doing here. I'm going to film you. Like I filmed him at like five in the morning, still awake in the garage. I, filmed him during like psychosis. And when he was like thinking the neighbors were staring at him for hours and blah, blah, blah. Like, and so I became a private investigator so much. So I, even at one time, I remember leaving my kids, my children sleeping up in the room and left them at home alone. Well, I went out to try and prove that he's out at his drug dealers. So it's like, it's, you do, I love that you bring that up because I became kind of cray cray. Like I became like, I like, I needed to prove like there's something going on here. Rightfully so, because I was trying, I didn't know what I was dealing with at that time. I didn't know it was act. I didn't know anything about addiction it was under my radar, but I knew there's peculiar behavior going on. So um, he was hiding it till he couldn't. And I think that's very common. And I think that's why as humans, right. We shouldn't have shame around if we're doing that right now. Right. Or if we've done that is like, 
you are trying to figure that out. So what you're saying is that recognizing, okay, even though we can't trust them, we know, we know with addiction comes lies and manipulation, but you, what you're saying more is to be a little bit more gray stone about is like, huh? Like, okay. Like you're, you're taking it in, you're educating yourself, but you're not being reactive and um, you're not letting it consume your whole entire life. So it's a healthy balance is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Yeah. And when you get into those modes, where you, it's it's like you panic, right? I mean, it causes so much anxiety and stress. And obviously that's a terrible place to live in too. And so um, you, you got to find ways to get yourself out of that, whether like you said, yoga or breathing techniques or, you know, a meditation practice, but you have to learn to let go of that anxiety that that will and want to prove and detect. And, you know, you're probably right you know, and you know it and they know it. They know, they know that when you're confronting them, that you're right, they're going to deny it. You know, my ex-husband would say when he would tell me he wasn't gambling and I would get the bank statements and there were withdrawals at the casino of cash. And he'd say, the statements are wrong. Oh, that's a mistake. I'm like, right. The bank thought you were at the casino taking the right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, they will lie and they will manipulate, but you know, I, you have the proof right there, you know, whether it's your gut or you saw his car in the parking lot of the drug deal, whatever, you know, you know, they know. So, you know, fighting the details just causes you stress and anxiety. You know, it's more about the way it makes you feel than it's actually the details of what's going on. Yeah, I think you raised such a good point there too. And that, and just almost like knowing you're right, like listen to your gut, like chances are you're right. You don't need to prove it. You don't need to like, I remember like Googling and researching and like, you know, it's like, but I I have to say when I did find out what I was dealing with, it was like suddenly like, ah, this makes sense now. Now I know what I'm dealing with. Like now I know there is a problem. Um, And then I I moved into the stage of like, I had to prove that there's an addiction because his mom was denying the problem. It's like, you know, so then that's where I started getting a little crazy. So I think that, I think you're so right is just recognizing, trust your gut um, know that you're right. Like when you're like, like, know that like chances are you are probably right if this is what's going on. And, and, um, I love this idea of opening up communication, be responsive instead of reactive, and then reaching out for support. You raise such a good point. Now, for those people who are newcomers who have no idea, like they don't know what like Narcanon is or Al-Anon or anything. Um, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So AA or or Gamblers Anonymous, GA or NA, Narcotics Anonymous, is for the addict. It's a support group of like people that are all going through the same thing they're going through. And they go to a, it's a 12 step program of recovery. And all of those have affiliate programs for the families. So Al Anon is a 12 step program for the family members of alcoholics. Nar Anon is the 12 step program for family members of narcotics. And then there's families anonymous, which is just a 12 step support group for families dealing with a loved one in addiction. I think there's Gaminon too, for gambler families of gamblers. Um, yeah. So all of those support groups are free um, and you can do them virtually now. You don't even have to leave your home. I always say try three different meetings because you might not vibe with the tribe that's at one meeting, but you might with another and then find a sponsor who's going to help pull you through and answer questions and um, help you through those really tough times when you're 
freaking out or playing detective and, uh, you know, get you through those moments. So those are really great free resources. Yeah. So good. Yeah. We often take that for granted because we've been in the addiction recovery and, and, um, this world for a long time that sometimes we forget that there's some people that maybe just stumbled upon this podcast today, or they're just like, they're, they're looking for support. And of course there's other, there's a whole bunch of other support, um, out there as well. I mean, there's Facebook support groups. There's like, you know, so if you don't necessarily want it to go into a 12 step recovery, there's, there's so many other resources out there too. And it's just, just a, a Google search away. Um, and of course, there's like people like you who are coaches and interventionists. There's people like me who created a whole platform in my book and um, based on supporting those who love someone with an addiction. So um, yeah, just finding, I think you're right, like finding what works well for you and where you feel supported. And the number one thing is to not feel like you're alone, that there are so many people touched by addiction. And I think that the, the main message here is, is that reach out because I think that it's so important to make sure that you don't feel like you're alone in this and because it, it is such a hard thing to navigate yeah and you know I, I just want to throw this out there too um with the um we were talking about interventions and it doesn't always take an intervention such as i was talking about to get your loved one to treatment and i've worked with plenty of families that um when we start working together and then we bring in their loved one that's addicted and they see changes and we talk to them about the changes that are going to be made that, that we get them to go to treatment without ever having to do the whole process of a staged intervention like that. So I just want to say that a great disruptor doesn't have to be a Johnson method intervention where you surprise them with the whole family and friends there, you know, right. confronting them. You know, there are softer ways to do that and to get your, move your loved one to want to change behaviors and go to treatment without having to do that. So, um, and that's part of coaching too, right? When you coach the families, their part is and how they can start changing some of their behaviors to get their loved one interested in changing theirs. It's a much softer way and that works too. Yeah. And I'm really picking up this, this idea of open communication from you. I'm really picking up this sense. And I like that you brought that up too, that it's not just intervention. Like everyone's got to, you know, have an intervention to make change. So that, that is a really great point. So what would one, one suggestion be that, um, to, to, that you would suggest, um, that someone might, you know, if they wanted to open a conversation or maybe they wanted, you know, to have their addicted love, their addicted loved ones seek treatment. Like, what would you, do you have any suggestion or? You know, if you can come at them with the compassion of, Hey, I know you're in pain. You know, this probably isn't any more fun for you than it is for us watching you. And I want to be a support to you. I can't do it for you but I can give you direction. I can steer you to the proper uh, professionals. Um, you know, I'd love to see all of us get better. Make it all, don't make it about them. You know, I think our whole family needs help. I think we've all gotten stuck in this circle of uh, behaviors and patterns that keep showing up. And I, uh, are you open to seeing how we can do things differently in the future? Um, I, I know that's a lot easier for me to sit here and say, um, I just worked with a, a couple whose uh, 25 year old son was gambling and they were getting notices and um, all kinds of stuff were showing up. The man, he got a ticket for trespassing on a casino. He had been banned at and, uh, and money was disappearing from a joint account that the mom had. With okay. So all this kind of stuff. And, um, and I said, have you ever thought about talking to him without screaming at him? 
when you, when you get one of these things in the mail, you know, he's got a, he's in pain, he's got a problem. And, um, and just coming at him the way you're coming at him is not going to make him want to change. It's going to make him want to run to the casino. So, you know, just those kinds of tips and the way we communicate and the conversations we start redirecting in a more constructive, supportive way, rather than you need to do this, you need to do that. I can't keep doing this, you know, it, it, so yeah, just, just changing the dynamics of those conversations can really make a difference. Oh, I love that. And we're all about compassion in the positive psychology world. And, and I love that you bring that up and just recognizing that they are in pain and that I like the way you put it, they're miserable. Cause I always thought like, he's out happy. Like now he's not with me and he's like doing drugs and he's like all happy now, but maybe I wasn't fun or, you know, so it's it, not that it makes me happy to know he's miserable, but you know, but at the same token, it makes, it helps me with, um, processing rejection and or abandonment and things like that and recognizing that um no I saw firsthand that there's a problem and so even though like he's not with me he probably still has that problem with the the people that he's with now so um and maybe not maybe he did seek recovery who knows but I think my point here is is that having this idea of compassion understanding that they are in pain, that they are struggling and that they do have a problem. And then going from the perspective of being supportive and being um, compassionate and constructive. And that that is a wonderful way to kind of start with an intervention is go from that angle. I love that. I know you're in pain. And um, yeah, so I think that that's beautiful. And I think that really does open up the dialogue. And I think that you know, and sometimes that can be hard, especially when we've been stolen from when we've been, you know, all those things. So it's recognizing, I like that, like separating the addiction that you bring up. I want, I just want to mention that, um, that 25 year old that was gambling is actually in treatment right now. And Mm -hmm. he called me last night from treatment. He has phone privileges for like, you know, two hours in the evening. And he called me and he thanked me, um, for, uh, working with his family and he's been in there three weeks and um, he's learned so much and he's excited about his aftercare and he's going to go to 90 meetings in 90 days when he gets out. I mean, it was just such a positive conversation. So, and yeah. And, you know, never had to do the, you know, intervention, like we think of an intervention, we just moved him to want to change. And so, boy, does that feel good? I just had to share that. Oh, that's so, and that gives us so much hope for the listeners and um, and so amazing what you do. Oh my gosh. Like um, I can't thank you enough, Dana, for everything that you're doing, all the families that you're helping and touching. And um, this is what we all wish for, right? We all wish um, that our addicted loved one will go into treatment or seek recovery. And um, so, yeah, so thank you so much for everything that you're doing. So if there's one final thought that you'd like to share with our listeners, what would it be? Um, I just, there's always hope. There is just always hope. Never give up on them, but start, um, I want to say stop enabling and we didn't even go into the enabling thing, but, um, you know, let the natural consequences of their addiction fall rather than trying to prop them up and keep them comfortable. And, uh, and, you will motivate them to want to change because the things you're doing is not motivating them to want to change. Every addict is in pain and wants to be comfortable. And somehow everybody around them is helping them be comfortable and stay out of pain. So you got to flip that switch a little bit. They got to get a little bit uncomfortable because they're not going to change until they're more uncomfortable staying where they are than changing. Did I say that succinctly? Do you know what I mean? Like 
Change comes when you when it's too hard to stay where you are and it's easier to change. Right now, it's easier for them to stay where they are than to change. You got to make it easier for them to want to change than to stay where they are. And that's what we guide people to do. Amazing. And not feel guilty about it. <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I that's love another episode, the guilt. That's and guilt and shame. Oh my that's gosh. Yeah, that's a whole, we need to have you back on the show for sure. Anytime. So, Ah, well, thank you so much, Dana, for being here. I cannot thank you enough. I love your name, Dana Golden, absolutely beautiful name. And you are the author of Addiction Rescue, the No BS Guide to Recovery. And I'm sure everyone's going to want to grab their copy and um, support their addicted loved one, right? And as you say, addiction is a family disease. And I think that a lot of people will benefit from all the work that you're doing. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom here. Thank you. Reach out if you have any questions, anybody, you know, happy to steer you in the right directions. And of course, I'll put all your links and your link to your book in the show notes and your website so everyone can get a hold of you. Thank you so much, Dana. Thank you, Andrea, so much. Thank you for listening. If you want additional support, you can head on over to our website at savingyouiskillingme.com, where we have a wonderful, supportive, compassionate community. We are here for you. You are not alone. We also have a private Facebook group and Instagram feed called Saving You Is Killing Me, Loving Someone With An Addiction. Be sure to subscribe here so you get the latest episodes. And of course, share this with your community and your support groups or anyone that's going through this struggle so we can all work together to take our lives back and restore joy. Thank you so much for joining me, not only today, but week after week. Although I wish we were meeting under different circumstances, I'm so grateful that I get to show up for you and share these episodes so that we can go on this journey together. Until next week, sending hugs.